Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, a podcast that brings together a love for good beer and Bible discussion. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. In the words of the reformer Martin Luther, Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus let us drink beer. So let's join our hosts, Rick and Patrick, for this week's discussion. Welcome back to episode number 37 of the Beers and Bible podcast. I am one of your hosts, Rick. And I'm your other host, Patrick. And we are glad to be back into your ear canals. How's quarantine going? Um, well, at the time of recording, they are starting to lift some of the... Uh, uh, they're starting to reopen some businesses and stuff uh, this weekend, where I nice. am. Where nice. The governor has said that he would like for us to start reopening stuff. Whether or not people actually do that is uh, yet to be seen. Oh, um, it's funny. And, and I've noticed this. Like, okay, so... I consider myself more of a libertarian. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it's funny how I have friends on Facebook who probably would have called themselves libertarian. And they're like, you need to do what the government says. You need to do what the government says. I'm like, you know, that makes you a pretty bad libertarian, right? Yeah. And then I've got other friends who would not consider them libertarians who were like, down with the government. Down with the government. And I'm like, yep. You know, that makes you a pretty good libertarian, right? Right now, we... <laughs> I think right now the best course of action is to be like Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec and not listen to the government or <laughs> think that the government is useful at all. <laughs> how, how about this? Keep yourself safe. Do what you need to do. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> now, I will say the government sending those stimulus checks was nice. Heck yeah. Trump money. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, they've, uh, the shelter in place ends here in about a week or so. And then my office has already decided that we're going to start being back in work on, uh, on your birthday. That is a great day to go back to work. Yes, it is. <laughs> it will be, I guess. I don't be. know. It'll be weird. It'll be weird being back in the office after six or seven weeks away. Working. Yeah. Working from home. So yep. it's been an interesting experience for sure. Working at home. Yeah. I wonder how many people are like, are actually realizing that they want to work at home, but then I also wonder how many people are realizing, nope, working at home is not for me. See, I've got, I, I am seeing both sides of the coin, and this is because I'm like, the, I'm a great uh, devil's advocate for a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this isn't an issue, but I'm just, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, working from home allows me a lot of freedom. I can work when I have work to do, and when I don't, I just sit around, hang out with my son, watch TV, go get beer, whatever whatever it is I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, working in the office allows me to do things like print paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you don't realize how much nice things there are in yes. the office. <laughs> you print stuff, and I don't have to 
figure out ways to sign and scan and it's mm-hmm. doing that stuff from home is kind of an ordeal but yes other than that well that's good that's good and i'm still i'm still going to work every day so yeah you're <laughs> nothing has changed for you except you can't do anything once you get off work exactly it's basically go to work and go home yep all right so, so what do we have on tap for tonight patrick so tonight we've got um another wise acre brew um, this is the Prank Calls to Satan Hoppy Black Ale from the Wiseacre Brewing Company in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Wiseacre, I just want you to know, we chose this beer specifically for the name. Yes. Now, the can is dope. Have yes, you, did you look at the can? It's like Satan's on the phone, and he's there's like a bunch of puns and like just goofy looking things on here a cat um, hanging from a rope that yeah, says hanging, hanging there, there yep. <laughs> a fan blowing across from ice cubes for like some like a redneck air conditioning um why is your refrigerator running you see that one no where's that oh Next yeah, Satan. <laughs> yeah. The refrigerator with legs that's amazing um, oh man there's some good stuff on here so um ABV is 6.5%. Um, there's not really any other information on here. Uh, the website uh, has 40 IBUs, so it's going to be a little more bitter than you're, than you're liking. Yep. Um, I still have high hopes for this one. Also, we did pick this one because of the name, but I would like to point out that, once again, Benny has come in clutch for us. And told us about this beer. Oh, Benny told us about this one specifically? He he did. He sent it to me. Uh, I think he sent it to me. I can't remember. He he did tell us about it, though, because I remember going, man, if I can find that, then I'm going to get it. And mm-hmm. when I was at the store the other day, I was like, oh, my gosh, there it is. And I bought it. So I was yeah. like, yes. So the, the website describes it as a fruit cocktail of pineapple, cherry, and pear hop aroma. Uh, rise from this deceptively dark IPA with a little toast, but no roast. Well, there we go. I like that description. And I don't know what I any of that I kind of feel means. like I'm going to like this. I'm, I'm going to stand by my, I just like beer. Yes. Uh, thing until I meet one that I don't really like. So. so here's what we should do. We've never done this before, and I'm totally throwing this in on the spot. Do it. We should, we should rate this what we think we're going to rate it. Based off of the description in the can. Okay. I think I'm going to give this three and a half. Um, I was thinking also three and a half. Okay. So we'll see if we come in higher or lower than what we expect. On a scale of one to five Luthers, both Rick and Patrick are coming in at three and a half. And now we're going to crack it open and see how it pales in comparison or if it lives up to its name of prank calls to Satan. Here we go. One. Two, three, crack. It wasn't a You know what this one didn't do? It didn't explode all over me like the tiny bomb did. Oh man, this thing is dark. Yep. Especially for, I guess it, well no, I guess it's called, it's called a black ale. It's not an IPA, it's technically not an IPA. This is deceptively dark IPA. It smells like an IPA to me. It smells like an IPA. It's a... I mean, the website says it's a Black India Pale Ale. Black IPA? Okay. 
I mean, I guess it doesn't. A pale ale doesn't have to be pale. I no. guess. <laughs> it, I mean, I, again, I think that has more to do with the, how it's brewed. I don't think that has anything yeah. to do with its actual appearance, typically. Or maybe it does. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I would think a pale ale is pale. But this, I mean, just looking straight into the the glass, this thing looks like a stout. Like, it, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's... I think this is going to be a little strong. It smells like an IPA. It looks like a stout. I mean, this this beer is confused, man. No wonder it's called Prank Calls to Satan. It's a prank call to Rick and Patrick, too. That's what's going on over here. All right. Well, I guess we need to turn these things up and see how they taste. Yep. So, um, on your, on whatever you, whatever you want to go, go for it, I guess. Here we go. Bottoms up. Yep. Whoa. That is. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So, I can definitely see the IPA, and, and, and I'm going to admit something. I have not been a fan, traditionally, of IPAs. I think I've admitted that before. I'm not really yeah, admitting I think it you, I think you bring it up every time we have an IPA. It, that I'm, not, I'm not a super huge fan of IPAs, but... Through drinking several IPAs on the podcast, I have actually grown to like IPAs. Okay, kind of. So <laughs> when we had so when we had first started the podcast, I had just begun dabbling into IPAs. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. And while they're not my favorite by any stretch, um, I still am. I like them more now than I did when we started recording podcasts yeah. back yeah. in June or whatever it was. Yes, IPAs is something that has grown on me a little bit. Like, the more we drink them, the more I'm like, okay, that's not as bad as some people have told me. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of mediocre good. Okay, kind of like that. And yeah. I and, I'm going to go buy one. And, and the thing, I mean, when, when uh, two weeks ago when we had the K-League beer, we talked about, like, the frat boy beer. Yes. My mentality on IPAs this time a year ago would be like that's that's stuff like frat boys drink <laughs> like hipster frat boys drink that if they're yes. not drinking cheap beer they're drinking ipas because they think yes. it's cool or hipster or whatever yes um it's definitely an acquired taste i'm i was really surprised by the flavor of this i don't know why it's it, it, it's not okay it's not what you're expecting when you think ipa but it, it's it's almost like if I have to describe it, I have to describe it as a combination of stout and IPA. Yeah, like it's almost got the flavor explosion of a stout mm-hmm. with, the with the texture with the, with the texture and bitterness of an IPA. Yes. yes. Okay. Tell me if I'm crazy, and it might you know, I might I might really be crazy. Okay. Does it taste a little bit like an Arnold Palmer to you? Mm. Like a little like sweet tea lemonade mix. I mean, if you, I think if you like a lot of of uh, lemonade in your lemonade in your Arnold Palmer, I could go there. But it, I, to me, it's a little like I like really, really sweet tea, so I just do like twenty five percent lemonade in my Arnold Palmer. See, this tastes like an Arnold Palmer that someone made with unsweet tea is what it tastes <laughs> like to me. Well, that's not an Arnold Palmer. That's just called that's, a, that's a diabetic Arnold Palmer. Is what that is. <laughs> unsweet tea is stupid, is what it is. It really is. But I'm so 
Where are you, where are you coming in on this thing? You so, said three and a half from the beginning. It's better than I expected, so mm-hmm. I have to give it higher than a three and a half. <laughs> you don't have to. You can just say, you know, it was. I think Good. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give it four. I'm gonna give okay. it four Luthers. Um, it's not a everyday kind of drink. It's not one. It's not one where I would drink it every day. It's not one that I would have mm-hmm. several back to back to back. Yeah. Um, I could see this being like. A nicer dinner beer. It wouldn't be like a, mm-hmm. a like a hamburger, hot dog dinner yeah. beer kind of thing. Um, if you had like a steak or a roast or something Ooh. like that, I think that I think that would go. This would go well well with it. Yeah, um, it's, it's texture is really good. It's not incredibly. It's not too bitter. When it when, when I read forty IBUs, I was like, Ugh, that seems a little high. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean. Or maybe I like this one is forty, and the other forties that we had were a little low. Yeah, it, it <laughs> could be very, very, very likely. Um, but I, lo- I love your description of it being like part stout, part IPA. Um, it's got that like socket right in your face of a stout yes. with the texture and the bitterness of an IPA. So I'm going to give it f- on a scale of one to five Luthers, four Luthers, four Luthers. Okay. I thought that's where you were going to come in, and I am going to come in consistently at at three three and a half, just a little bit below you. And and IPAs have grown on me, um, but not that much. Um, so it's it's just a little too bitter for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is. But I will say that it is a good beer. Yeah, I mean, it's good. Yeah, and I had that thought that you would think it was probably a little too bitter. Um, I just kicked the mess out of my bar here. Um, <laughs> I will say that if you don't like bitter, then you're probably not going to be fond of this one. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not overly bitter. At least to me, no. it's not. No, it's not that. It's not that bad. And and honestly, I mean, I'm not upset that I have five more to drink in my fridge. Um, would I go and buy it again? Eh, maybe. You know. I'd have to be in a specific kind of mood to go to go buy it again, but I'm definitely glad that I did buy it the first time, uh, and I'm I'll be glad to drink the other five. It's it is that it's that good, yeah. Um, but but it's I mean you take two beers that I'm not a super huge fan of and combine them, and you're probably going to get one beer that I'm not a super huge fan of. And right, I mean I will say that this was it was a little surprising. Mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting it to be a little heavier than it actually is. Yeah. But that, that IPA uh, style kind of comes through in, in the heaviness. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does have that bitterness of, of the stout um, or the uh, or the bitterness of the IPA coming through. Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, I, that's where that's why I would come in at three and a half. It's it's not what I expected, but it's about what I expected. You know, it's a yeah. it's a little different flavor than what I was thinking. Um, I was thinking we were going to get something a little bit more along the flesh and blood style, mm-hmm. um, but it's just, it's kind of a little bit more towards a stout in the flavor. But the flavor is really good. the The texture of it is really good. Um, the brewing of it is you can tell is is really good. Wiseacre. Um, I mean, I think the last time we we did one, the Tiny Mama, it either got four, four and a half for both of us. I'm looking at it now. Um, you gave it four and a half. I gave it four. So. Uh, collectively, oh, yeah. their two beers, they've averaged four Luthers on both of yeah. them, okay. which not a lot of breweries have been able to 
can say do that. that with two beers. Yeah. A lot of breweries, we, you know, their first or second wasn't as good as the other. Yeah. So, um, yep. So, Wiseacre, uh, good job. I mean, this, yeah. this is a, this is a quality beer. Um, I think people who enjoy IPAs or really people who enjoy stouts, I think you'd really like this. This is a nice, to me, I mean, this is a, this actually is a really nice bridge between, uh, a stout and an IPA. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you're in either one of those camps, give prank calls to Satan a try because you just might like it. But don't pr- try to prank call Satan. That would be a, <laughs> it'd be hilarious, but it wouldn't mean anything. Hey, Satan, is your refrigerator running? You better catch it. So the, the, there's a, there's like a prank call thing on the website on this one's page. Mm-hmm. And it said, hey, Satan, my cat's in your garage. Oh, wait, no. no it said, hey, Satan, your cat's in my garage. And Satan says, I don't have a cat. And you say, I don't have a garage. <laughs> it's funnier when you don't mess up, when you don't mess it up on the first go, but. Oh, well. I didn't have it pulled up in front of me, so. Oh, well. But it's good. Good job, boys, Aker. Good job. That is uh, that is prank calls to Satan, and now we're going to move on to Packer's concise theology and talk about apostles and the kingdom of God. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, we're back with. Uh, continuing our discussion in Chad Packer's Concise Theology, tonight we are talking about uh, the kingdom of God and apostles. So, uh, first let's just dive right into the kingdom of God, which Packer uh, defines or describes as that um, Christians must manifest kingdom life. Um, this idea of the kingdom of God really runs through the entirety of scripture, um, from from Genesis through Revelation, and it focuses on God's purpose for world history. So we're talking about how all the events of all time culminate in the the revealing of God's kingdom. Is that how to put that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty fair. Um, obviously, the ultimate revealing of God's kingdom is is the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, through his through his life, you kind of, you see him giving these parables of the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. Um, and that's to help people understand what the kingdom of God is like. Um, one of the themes that you see through the Gospels is that very, very consistently, and especially in John, um, very, very consistently, people did not understand what the kingdom of God was. Um, especially, I mean, for, for case in point, Israel. Israel did not understand it because they okay. thought that when their Messiah came, that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom and he was going to rule and he was going to reign and it was, you know, everybody was going to bow at their feet and they were going to be the rulers of the world. Mm-hmm. And And Jesus very clearly did not do that. Right, and so if Jesus did not come to establish a physical world on his first and in his first coming, then we have to say, okay, well, then what was the point of his of his coming? Why did he come? Well, he number one, he came for the salvation of of those who 
God chose before the foundations of the world, mm-hmm. um, uh, who were sinners. And then secondly, he came as an establishment or a foundation of that kingdom. And so, um, really and truly, I mean, this kind of bleeds over into eschatology, which we, when we talk about eschatology, we're talking about the final things, the last things. Um, and, and if you, if you take a, uh, if you hold the view that I hold, okay, um, I hold an amillennial position. And what I would say is Jesus came to establish his lordship. Um, and, and he does that. He establishes his lordship in those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Lord and the ruler of their life. Okay. So that is the foundational, that's the building blocks of the kingdom of God. Now, as a Christian who has professed the Lord Jesus Christ, you are to do certain things. You are to do what Matthew teaches, uh, or really what Jesus teaches uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, you know, you got to pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done. So as Christians, our job is to bring and establish as best we can in a fallen world, the kingdom of God on earth. Mm-hmm. And so how do we do that? Well, we do that with a Christian worldview. We do that with biblical stances. We do that with uh, discipleship. We do that with church, uh, which we're going to talk about next week. You know, we're going to talk about the church. We're gonna, really going to spend kind of one week honing in on the church. Um, there, there's a lot of ways that, that as Christians we can do that. Mm-hmm. And so um, – when we when we say the kingdom of God, we we say yes, it has come and it has been established, mm. but it may not necessarily be established the way that we want it to be. Yeah, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just to uh, just kind of expand on that a little bit when we're talking about like how we do church and uh, how we do discipleship and having biblical worldview and. Um, taking stands uh taking stances for things that are right um defending those who can't defend themselves i think Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we're our motives behind those things are right Mm -hmm. that are um in the way that we're doing those things is right because if you're standing on a box on the corner screaming repent or repent you know turn or burn yeah you know that's you know when we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the how to talk, tell the truth in love. Yeah. Um, so as, as believers, it's, it's imperative that we do do those things that we do have a Christian worldview and, and mm-hmm. take stances for what is right. Um, but we don't do those things from a, from like a, from a motive of pride or, a, you know, what can what can we get out of it? But because it's the right thing to do, yeah. Um, and and it's important it's important for us to understand as Christians that and 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 re- this is going to kind of the kingdom of God is going to kind of bleed over a little bit into apostles. But we are representatives mm-hmm. of Christ. We're representatives of the kingdom of God. Um, you know that's a that's a a type of apostolic you know, uh, job that's been assigned to us. It doesn't, it doesn't make us apostles. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I thought it um, makes us apostles. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, the, 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 the Reverend Dr. Bishop apostle, you know, whatever 
Yeah, I always love those. They they just make up as many names as they possibly can to make themselves sound better. But mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, anytime somebody comes up to me and says I'm an apostle, I'll be like, awesome. You had a physical encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Tell me about that. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, and and so, but we have this we have this idea, this mentality that we are supposed to be representing the kingdom of God, and that is our mm -hmm. job. Yep. And and so. As representatives, we we have to think about the different uh, arenas that, that God's kingdom introduced. So it definitely introduced a kingdom uh, that is represented by mercy, um, and and so we are to be merciful. We are to be gracious. We are to be compassionate people. But on the flip side of that, it also introduced a kingdom of judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. we are to be truth tellers. And and sometimes that actually means judgment. Sometimes mm -hmm. that means telling people, no, I disagree with you, and I disagree with you on a biblical stance. Uh, you know, I disagree because the Bible teaches something different, and mm -hmm. I put my authority and my trust in the Bible. And so, you have this you have this uh, contrast of mercy and judgment, and you really see that a lot in Jesus's teachings. You know, there's many times where he is merciful and compassionate. And then there's other times where he's flipping over tables in the synagogue. Yeah. You know, and, and so you, yeah. you have to look at Jesus as the example. Yeah. But in both of those instances, he's speaking the truth. Yes. He, yes. When, when, he is, when he is loving on people who can't fend for themselves, or he's hanging out with people who wouldn't... The, religious right would never even look at mm -hmm. he's doing that out of a out of a act of love for those people love yes. and compassion for those people yes when he is flipping over tables and cracking whips in the synagogue yes. it is because he loves his father's house so much that he yes. is doing those things because they were defiling the synagogue with their yes. with their tables and what they were doing at the table so yes um and again like you said jesus is our example we follow his example in, in both of those instances, he's acting out of love. Mm -hmm. it, it, he is. And it's, it's important to remember that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. And, and this, I mean, this comes straight from John chapter three. Um, we're so good at quoting John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten, or that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But we always stop at verse 16 and we forget to include verse 17. Mm -hmm. And so verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Mm. So Jesus didn't come as condemnation for the world, but he did come as judgment for the world. And there is a difference between condemnation and judgment. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's that's a lot of where Christians need to realize that there is a major difference between condemnation and judgment. A lot of times what we call judgment is actually condemnation. Mm -hmm. The world is already condemned. We don't need to condemn the world. It's already condemned. Right. What we need to do is offer judgment. We need to say, hey, because you are condemned, here is your way out. Here is your way away from condemnation. It is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm -hmm. And no man comes to the Father except through him. That's not, again, that takes away all of the judgment from us as, as far as 
us casting that judgment on people and puts all of the authority onto the scripture and says, hey, you are condemned. The world is condemned, but there is a way out. Yeah. You know, and, that, mm-hmm. and I think that's a that's a, a a very fine line that Christians, you know, and I, and I would include myself in this sometimes. We need to learn that. We need yeah. to learn that line. What's the difference between condemning somebody and speaking truth in judgment to somebody? Yeah. Because it's, it's one thing to say I don't agree with your with how you live your life or um, or whatever whatever wherever that case may be. It's one thing to disagree, and and I'm I'm blanking on how to describe <laughs> it. Like you can judge somebody without being a total jerk about it. Yes, yes. You when don't, you, you, when don't you have when, to be Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. When and I would say a lot of what the extremists like Westboro Baptists do would be condemnation. Yes. For, yes. And, and not, and they, in their actions while being truthful again, and I mean, some of their actions might not be truthful, but a lot of them aren't, <laughs> but you know, they're also not a loving place. Yes. Like, like for, for all of its heresy and uh, stuff like that, places like elevation I imagine are very loving places for yes. people to go to, which yes. is why people flocked. Which is why people yes. flock to those churches. Yeah. If you end up with too much love, you end up with something like uh, an elevate. You know this this mega church style where it's like you know come as you are. You know we don't come, really. It's like come as you are and don't change anything and don't change anything. Versus that that's all love. Versus mm-hmm. Westboro Baptist is all truth. And and what we need to find is the balance in the middle, yeah. where we where we're still speaking truth, but we're speaking truth in love. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about that just a few weeks ago. If if we're not known by our love, then then we're really realistically not disciples of Jesus. Yeah. If we're not known by our love, mm-hmm. and so so it's important that we do that. Yeah. And um, the kind of the last thing that that Packer hits on when he talks about this the kingdom of God is this redemptive historical program. So um, the establishment of the kingdom of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ, Jesus comes, he's uh, killed, he's buried, he's resurrected, he ascends back into heaven. That is kind of like this establishment of the the kingdom here on earth that's going to continue. And and this is what we talk about when we talk about the already but not yet. Mm -hmm. So you know, we've talked about the already but not yet aspect of salvation where, where we are justified. Yes, we are already justified, but we're not yet glorified. So we haven't, in, in some aspects, we haven't reached the pinnacle of our salvation. Much the same as the kingdom of God. It is established. It is already established. It is here and it is working in the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's where that's where my all-millennial view of eschatology really plays into this because I would say, you know, Jesus is already ruling and reigning. You know, we talk about the second coming of Jesus and he's going to come, and he's going to rule and reign. Well, the problem I have with, with those who would say, well, that's not the case, or, or I'm going to hold a different view, is that in your view, if you're going to take that view, and, and the one I'll use is is the, the classic um, premillennial, pre-tribulational, we call it dispensational view of the second coming of Christ. You have the rapture, then you have the second coming seven years later, and, and in between those seven years, you have this thing called the tribulation, and then the second years, the seven years, the second coming ushers in the millennium, and then the millennium, you have the establishment of the new kingdom and, and the new heavens and the new earth. That was a really rough shot version of that, you know, just real fast. 
what I would say is that the first coming of Jesus was the establishment. And at the time until his second coming is all of this time that is that is millennial. And, and, and all millennial sometimes gets a bad rap because you, you hear the word awe and you think, oh, there's no millennium. And, and all millennialism doesn't hold that there's no millennium. It just holds that the millennium is not specific to 1,000 years. Mm. And so we would say, you know, from the time Jesus ascended into heaven, that is kind of the beginning of this millennial reign of Christ. Uh, millennial being like a metaphor. Um, it's, it's just a measure of time. I mean, yeah, just a measure of time. And so you have Christ ruling and reigning in this time. It's very, very similar to post-millennialism. Um, where it's, you know, they say everything gets better and better and better, and then Jesus comes back at the end and, and kind of consummates everything. All millennial is a little bit more uh, pessimistic, whereas uh, post-millennial millennialism is a bit more optimistic. Um, but we would say, you know, Jesus is not necessarily working in governments, and, you know, he's not, he's not making governments to be more Christian and all this kind of stuff, but what he's doing is he's working in individuals' lives. He's, he's establishing his kingdom and individuals, and then at the end of time, he's going to return, and all of those who are in Christ will be resurrected, and 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 uh, in the second coming, and then the new heavens and new earth after that. But that's a that's a whole other discussion. But you, I want you to see how this idea of the kingdom of God plays into that millennial perspective of eschatology, mm-hmm. um, because it it does play into it, and it and it really. I don't know if J.I. Packer was an amillennial, but when I read this section, I kind of thought, well, he might be. You know, it's, it's entirely possible that he was an amillennial because mm-hmm. of the way he talks about the the kingdom of God growing in people's hearts and and being established in an already but not yet kind of way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the already not yet is the, the part that probably is the most mind-bending to, it is to talk hard. about and think about um the and yeah it's it's something that would take a lot more than just the discussion we could have in 10 or 14 minutes yeah. or <laughs> however long however long you want um to to really dive into and maybe that's something we could discuss further once we get done with J.I. Packer <laughs> <laughs> in the in the near future hopefully yes. so um so is that all we need? Is, are we? I are mean, we... That, that's really all I have on on the kingdom of God. It's it's a little bit, it's a it strays a little bit from where Packer is, but it's always something that I've kind of just thought about in the back of my mind mm-hmm. um, when I read stuff. And, and yeah. because you always, I mean, anytime I read scripture, I, I try to look for the theological implications of of you know what does this affect what I believe? Does this affect my theology? And mm-hmm. and so. You know, trying trying to stay consistent through through all of that and, and yep. where I where I land, but yeah, sure. so that that pretty much wraps up uh, the kingdom of God. But that does tie into being the kingdom of God because as Christians we are the kingdom of God, and therefore we have a duty mm-hmm. as Christians. Yes, um, and this is where apostles comes in. So, how mm-hmm. does Packer define apostles? So he he's called he says that apostles are Jesus' representatives. Um, or that Jesus' representatives exercise his authority. Um, and then he does a really good job of, of um, di- uh, distinguishing the differences between being a disciple of Jesus and being an apostle of Jesus. Um, 
because the New Testament uses those words interchangeably. Mm-hmm. So that's really confusing. Um, you could be reading in one book it says apostles, and in another book it says disciples. Yeah. It's talking about it's the same story. So what's going on with that? Um, so he says that the those two aren't synonyms, but that a disciple just means a like a pupil, a learner, a student. Um, but that an apostle is like a representative, an emissary, um, someone who is full of the authority of the sender. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we were talking about it a little bit earlier, how, um, apostles are ones who have had, who had face to face interactions with Jesus, mm-hmm. whether either on earth or after his death or that was still on earth, well, but either, either so before or after his death. Well, specifically, an apostle is somebody who interacted with Jesus both before and after his death. Oh, okay. So Judas is not numbered as an apostle. Okay. Judas, Judas is simply a disciple. Mm. Um, he's one of the 12 disciples. But somebody like Paul, again, it's kind of, I'm throwing all of the, the weird things out there. Paul was somebody who didn't necessarily interact with Jesus before. Mm-hmm. He probably knew who he was, um, but he didn't interact with him before. And, but, you know, then you have the Damascus Road encounter and he interacted with Jesus, uh, or he had the encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. Uh, and so specifically an apostle is somebody who has seen and interacted with the resurrected Christ. Okay. Um, after his resurrection. Now, all of the disciples interacted with Jesus after the resurrection. And except so, for Judas. Except for Judas. Um, and so that's why you have the 11, uh, uh, disciples are, are kind of turned into apostles and then they have to, they have to cast lots mm-hmm. to see who's going to be the 12th. Yep. Um, and they end up, I think they end up picking this guy, Matthias or, or, they, uh, then they drew lots and the lot fell to Matthias. Yeah. And so, so you have Matthias gets, gets, uh, numbered as an apostle. So he was obviously there with the disciples who are now apostles. And then later in Acts, you have, um, Paul, who in the, some of the books that he writes, calls himself the apostle to the Gentiles. Mm, okay. Um, you know, he refers to himself as the apostle to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but very, very specifically, an apostle was somebody who interacted with Jesus after his resurrection and ascension. Okay. And so, uh, or, or before his ascension. So yeah. you have that, that very limited window, but what that does is that gives authority to a very, very specific group of people. Mm-hmm. And and that authority is is then, you know, kind of foundational for the foundation of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we, we all have heard the Apostles' Creed. The, the, that's kind of like the first and most succinct creed uh, for Christian belief that you can have. And and uh, and we've, we've said many times, I know I've said it at least once, that you can believe more than what's in the Apostles' Creed, mm-hmm. but you can't believe anything less than what's in the Apostles' Creed. Right. Um, so, you know, if you deny the virgin birth of Christ, well, we're, we're getting into heresy. Yeah. If you deny that he uh, was was died, buried, and raised raised to life, well, we're getting into heresy. You're not what's considered orthodox anymore. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this foundational creed that a lot of other creeds kind of expand on. Gotcha. Um, and so, so when you talk about apostleship, not only are you talking about this representative thing, uh, this representative position, but you're also talking about an authoritative position. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I think that's a lot of times why we get these people trying to claim the mantle of apostle because they want to have this authority Mm. that an apostle would have had. Yeah. You know, and you can't challenge the apostle of God. Well, yes, I can because you're a sinner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you look at the New Testament, um, apostles were evangelists. They Mm -hmm. were church planners. Mm-hmm. They were pastors, mm-hmm. um, community founders, mm-hmm. um, and I mean Jesus really functioned in every one of those roles. Also, yes. um, while he was on Earth, so it makes sense for people to want to claim that as you know their own role. Yeah. Now, I mean, now not. Not in the New Testament, but now it makes sense for people to want to say, yeah, I'm an apostle because I'm an evangelist or I'm a church planner or I'm a pastor. Yeah. Um, but that's not, I mean, that's obviously not necessarily what that really yeah. means. Just because you have some of the characteristics of an apostle doesn't make you an apostle. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. just because you're a grown male uh, doesn't make you a father. Right. You have to have a son or a daughter to be a father. Yeah. You know, um, and then, and then even, I mean, kind of to further that one, just because you have, just because you have fathered a child doesn't make you a dad. Yes. Yes. You have to be interactive with that child. You have to mm-hmm. be in that child's life to be, you can be a father without being a dad. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, there, there's a big difference. Yeah. Um, And so, so that, but you, you know, we say things like that to, to distinguish and to say, you know, there is groups uh, of of Christianity today um, that are not necessarily heretics. Um, I don't think claiming to be an apostle, you know, negates uh, being a Christian. Uh, but I I do think it's very very troubling because mm-hmm. you are claiming a mantle that was given to a very very select and very specific group of men who had very, very close interactions with Jesus. In fact, saw him after he was resurrected. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very specific to, and it's pretty clearly, it's only those men. It's yes. only those only those guys who saw Jesus and interacted with him yeah. in the 40 days after his resurrection. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this is where kind of going to being before, because Jesus appeared to more than just the 12 disciples. I mean, he appeared to like 500 people. So are right. all 500 people apostles? Well, no. Because because these people interacted, and that's where I go back to, because they interacted with Jesus before his death, burial, and resurrection, because mm-hmm. they were disciples of Jesus, mm-hmm. they also have the authority to be apostles of Jesus. And, and so where we are disciples of Jesus now, when we are glorified, eh, maybe I could go with taking on the mantle of apostle at that mm-hmm. point. But you know what? At the point of my glorification, I'm not going to care. Exactly. <laughs> so, so question, you, you just said that apostles were, with the exception of Paul, mm-hmm. those who interacted with Jesus before his death mm-hmm. and then also after his resurrection, mm-hmm. before his ascension. So what about Mary? It's, and, and, you know, can you have female apostles? That's a, that's a question. The Bible seems to, to say through, through the book of Acts that only his disciples were specifically uh, named as apostles. So 
even though G- even though Mary interacted with Jesus before and after, she was not a disciple of Jesus before and after in in what we would call the rabbinic tradition. So Mary didn't go around with Jesus all the time, twenty four seven, doing things that that he told him to she, do. And that she kind didn't of stuff. like she didn't like abandon her life to follow Jesus exactly like the twelve exactly. did, like the twelve disciples. So so are we saying that the twelve that well the eleven plus Matthias are the only apostles. Well, I think you can, I mean, there's a case to be made for Paul. Um, well, yeah, and, you then know, Paul, so, and then of course also Paul. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would apostles. say, I would say, yeah, there's only 13 apostles in, in the Christian tradition. Yes. Uh, this might be my ignorance coming out. Is Matthias mentioned before they cast lots for him? I don't think so. I mean, there, <laughs> Jesus, he's like the sixth man of apostles. Basically. <laughs> Basically, um, I mean, it's it's uh, in in the Gospels, it's clear that there are more than twelve disciples. We only kind of get the story of twelve um, because if you go to areas of John, uh, I think it's John and maybe Mark. Um, you know, he'll tell a story and he'll be like, "And many left from following him." Like, like there was more disciples, or like you know. Some people were like, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he's like, all right, come on. Hey, uh, eat my uh, body and drink my blood. Yeah, Jesus, um, okay, bye. You know, it's it's kind of this this idea of, of there are more disciples, mm-hmm. but not all of them stay with Jesus for the entire duration okay. of his ministry. So, so your, your argument here would be that those who – so we're saying that the 12 – the twelve that we we commonly say mm-hmm. stay with Jesus until almost the very very end, yeah, even through the very very even end. through the, well even some of them through the very end yes yeah and then they when after he returns, are we saying some of the excess disciples in, interact with Jesus after his resurrection too? I mean it's not clear it's, it's not clear. A, there's a lot of assumption but yeah I mean is it is it possible yes. It is possible, but the Bible doesn't say that it happened, so I just have to go. The Bible is silent, so I'm going to be silent. Yeah. We know for sure about 13. Yes. And at the end of the day, apart from making sure you don't commit heresy, doesn't matter. Exactly. Can I can I speak affirmatively in the 13? Yes, I can speak affirmatively of those, those 13. Can I speak affirmatively of any more? No, I can't. Yeah. You know? And so that's why I would say... There's only, I only know of, Scripture only tells us of the 13 disciples, or the 13 apostles. And that forms the apostolic tradition, which leads to the Apostles' Creed, which becomes the cornerstone for the things like the Nicene Creed, the Council of Chalcedon, um, all of these, you know, 4th, 5th, 6th century things that happen, um, and lead into the establishment, the, the, the full establishment of the church uh, as as really as we know it today, um, which ironically is a really good place to say pause. And next week we're going to talk about the church because there is a whole lot to say about the church, um, church history. Where did it come from? Um, and so we're going to do we're going to do just the church next week and talk about that. Um, so yeah, what do you think? Sounds great. <laughs> I'm glad that we have a plan. It's, it's a lot better than our usual plan. 
I just gave the most planning that we've ever done live on the podcast. <laughs> it's not true, but it's sort of true. It's kind of true. So, anyway, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. We hope you you found some some good nuggets here about apostles, about the kingdom of God, and about prank calling Satan. Uh, yes, aka drinking beer. Uh, <laughs> I think that's a great like. Hey, what are you doing tonight? I'm prank calling Satan. <laughs> that is a good one. That's that's when your church friends ask you what you're doing. And then that could be like a, oh, what are you really doing? What do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? So, if people want to find us on Insta, not Instagram, if people want to find us on internet, where would they do those things? Well, if people want to find us on the internet... We are on Instagram. Uh, we uh, we're there at beers and Bible underscore beers and Bible podcast underscore. No, beers no. and Bible underscore. They all run together. I am so sorry. So <laughs> we are on Instagram at beers and Bible underscore. We are on Twitter at beers and Bible P one. I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Just search beers and Bible podcasts and look for our logo. And then you can also send us an email. At uh, beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. We would love to uh, interact with any of our listeners on any of those platforms. Um, questions you have about the podcast, uh, suggestions for beer or topics of discussion uh, would be great. We, we'd love to interact with you and, uh, and, and hear from you. Uh, we both have access to both of those platforms, so one of us should get to you pretty quickly. Um, and... I think that's all all that stuff we got going on. This is what, episode 37? 37. We are closing in on 50. 50 episodes. Which might be pretty close to the, the ending of J.I. Packer. Very I, possible. I hope so. Maybe we should, <laughs> if, we, if we end, maybe we should, our goal should be to end 50. at 50. And J.I. Packer's uh, discussion, the discussion on concise theology at 50. And then that way we can have some big... Big hoorah or something. That would be fun. Maybe we could have J.I. Packer on the podcast. I doubt that very much. <laughs> He's like 93. But how uh, awesome would that be, though? That would be amazing. J.I. Packer, we love you. We hope you listen to our podcast. And we hope you drink beer. I'm, I'm betting he does neither of those things. He might, though. He's Presbyterian. All right, then. <laughs> Anyway, well, to, our, to, to, our, to our most famous listener, J.I. Packer, thanks for listening. <laughs> and until next time, we will see you later. Peace out. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast.